Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 38, Wrestling in Life. I am broadcasting live, well, live for me, from the Power of Change Worldwide Road Shed Quarters here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yes, I'm out on the road with a little rest and relaxation. My wife and family graciously gave me a permission slip to slip on down to Chattanooga, Tennessee to watch one of the premier, that means one of the best, collegiate wrestling tournaments in America called the Southern Scuffle. They don't they don't wrestle us down here, they scuffle. It's hosted by the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. I had a great time, great finals last night, and I'm about to hit the road. But I've been meditating a bit um, on wrestling as I watch this sport that has shaped my life, perhaps as much as anything, uh, besides the grace of God. But before we get to our main topic on wrestling uh, here, I want to do a quick review-ish, uh, because I've really been blessed by, uh, I guess it's a product, I hate to call it a product, um, a publication, let's call it that. Uh, in our review section today, I want to uh, share with you the ESV, English Standard Version, Illuminated Scripture Journal Bible. This is a wonderful new deal from Crossway, which is basically um, the versions I've got are of these small paperback journals of each New Testament book. And I'm studying the book of Romans right now, and so I have this beautiful paperback, um, small little handy, throw it in your bag, throw it in your purse kind of deal uh, on the letter to the Romans. And the way this thing is structured is great. You get the biblical text on the left-hand side, and then on the right-hand side, you got a blank, mostly blank page, either a blank page or something with some cool-looking gold artwork uh, highlighting something that's actually in the biblical text on that particular uh, page's reading. And so I'm using this as kind of a little tool to read through the entire book of Romans and put my notes on the right-hand side here in these blank pages. And it kind of reminds me of my very, very early Christian Bible reading days where I just wrote everywhere in every Bible uh, as I discovered new things and learned things from the words of our Lord. And so check that out, man. The ESV Illuminated Scripture Journal, this is not a paid advertisement. Our review issues are simply because we found pleasure in something out there in the world and want to share it with you. Well, to my main topic today, wrestling in life. I spent two whole days, you know, pretty much, not nonstop, but pretty much, uh, sitting in a gym watching a sport. As I said earlier, this sport shaped me as a person, young man. I started wrestling late. Most of my college teammates in Division One wrestling started uh, when they were like five years old. I didn't start until junior high school. I didn't start until seventh grade. So I had to learn the sport really fast. In a matter of five years, try to develop myself into the kind of wrestler who could go on uh, to some goals I set, I think, in eighth grade. I wanted to wrestle Division One college. Thank the Lord uh, that was achieved. More than anything, though, wrestling got me to the University of North Carolina. Uh, at the University of North Carolina, many important things happened for me. At first, I met the Lord, unbelievable, uh, and then I met my bride, who was a phenomenal uh, footballer. That's soccer for you fans out there uh, at UNC. But wrestling is an interesting thing, and every Christian wrestler or a wrestler who becomes a Christian learns that his or her sport, there is female wrestling now, man. America, in Olympic women's wrestling, we're one of the best. J Japan, probably a little better than us right now, but... USA, go USA. Helen Marulis, look it up, baller, can wrestle. Uh, any Christian man or woman who learns about their sport will learn the sport is very ancient. Obviously, you just throw some folks together, they start wrestling. You got little boys or 
film in the backyard, man. They're going to wrestle. But wrestling is also mentioned in both the Old and New Testaments uh, of the Bible. Um, now, it's interesting because the word usually uh, wrestle in English and most languages has this connotation of struggle or battle or kind of contending with or fighting with. Um, and so it's not surprising that we use this word both for its physical meaning and for its uh, metaphysical meaning by which we wrestle with various entities uh, spiritually. Uh, so in the Old Testament, for instance, we have uh, one, of the, one of the patriarchs, Jacob, wrestles with God. This is Genesis 32. I won't let go of you until you bless me. And he's actually renamed Israel, right? Israel, one who wrestles or contends or struggles with God. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, we're told that uh, we do not, this is Ephesians six twelve. we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we're not just out here fighting other people that believe differently than us. No, our battle is deeper than that. Our battle is with sin and Satan and demons and uh, ourselves even, our struggle, our wrestling, right, is spiritual and is not simply with the people around us. So the sport of wrestling is struggle. First of all, it's physical struggle, uh, mano on mano. Uh, I don't know how to say that for the ladies' version. It's a physical struggle, strength technique. It's kind of a, a chess match even. It's a back and forth. You know, I started late, as I mentioned, so I, I tended in college wrestling to overthink things um, because the best wrestlers, you get these built-in reactions. They become uh, what's called um, second nature. And second nature is an interesting term in itself because this is a term that comes through to us from ancient and medieval ethics terminology through uh, habituation, doing certain things over and over, uh, something become part of your nature that wasn't there before. It becomes second nature. So wrestling is very much like that, and spiritual wrestling is very much like that. When you develop certain spiritual disciplines, reading the scriptures, going to God with your burdens in prayer, uh, attending uh, a worshiping service regularly for the word of God to be preached and the sacraments of communions to be participated in, right? Uh, these develop us so that certain things and ways of life and obedience become second nature. And wrestling's like that, man. It's kind of this chess match. He grabs this leg, you have to do this thing. Uh, if you do this thing, he's going to do a different finish on that leg to try to take you down. Uh, but it's a great metaphor for life in general because wrestling has wins, right? Um, it has losses. There are no ties, right? You don't tie in a wrestling match. You go on and on in overtime until somebody wins that thing. And here's the hard thing about both wrestling as a sport and life. You can do things right. You can put in the training. I would even say put in the pain necessary to be an accomplished and very good skilled wrestler. You can do all of that. You can eat right, cut your weight right. You can fight right. And you can still win and you can still lose. That's why wrestling's so hard, man. When you lose a wrestling match, it's just you, man. You can't say, oh, that guy didn't block for me or, or I passed the ball to him and they didn't score. Um, no, it's you in front of your mama and everybody else, right? Um, nothing like beating somebody in front of their mama and their girlfriends. It's you out there putting it on the line, winning or losing. 
But the struggle to get there makes us into who we are. Life is wrestling. Well, I forgot to say Happy New Year at the beginning of this episode, but it is the early 2019. Uh, January 3rd is when I'm uh, recording this. Uh, But I wanted to say to each of you friends out there, as you start the new year, a lot of times people are going to make resolutions. People are going to talk about great or how terrible resolutions are. I read on LinkedIn this morning, Timothy Ferris uh, doesn't like, re- re- he's like this self-help guru guy now who, or a personal life hacking betterment expert or something is what Tim Ferriss is. I read a book years ago of his called The 4-Hour Work Week. He's written many other things since then. He's got a very popular podcast. But he said instead of resolutions, he looks back and does a year review. So he looks back on the whole year, looks at every month, what things brought him positive points and prizes uh, in his heart, what things brought negative points and prizes, make a list, uh, and then in the coming year try to say yes to these positive influences and no to the negative. So that's another New Year idea. But one of the best things I think you can do as you look to a new year is to renew your commitment to wrestling, to seeking God, uh, to wrestling against the powers of darkness, uh, to wrestling with all that life and God will bring to your story in 2019. Uh, one friend of mine, um, Michael Kelsey, shout out Michael. What's up, Mike? Uh, Pastor McLean Bible Church up in uh, the Maryland campus. I think he's in Silver Springs, Maryland. Uh, gave an annual reminder through his social media channels uh, that I engaged with a little bit this year. And here's what Michael, Pastor Michael Kelsey had to say. Annual reminder. What's often said, this is the year that God is going to turn everything around for you. Your money, your health, your family, your job. This is the year God is going to do what you've been waiting for him to do. What's actually true, Pastor Mike says, some of you are going to have an amazing year. Some of you are going to have a terrible year. Most of you are going to have a regular year. And you don't know, right, we don't know the future, which category you'll be in. But here's what you can know for sure. God will be good in all of it. His mercies will be new every morning. His grace sufficient, and he will be faithful. Expect the best, E-X-P-E-C-T, expect the best, accept, A-C-C-E-P-T, accept the worst if it comes, and keep pushing. Happy New Year. I might say keep pushing, keep on wrestling. Keep on wrestling. Well, one of Mike's Facebook friends, I won't share his name because I don't really know the man other than our interaction we had on Facebook, and you know how those go, wrote back to Pastor Mike, I don't receive that. God has only incredible plans to prosper us and to overwhelmingly bless us in the new year, but the devil also has schemes and plans to rob, steal, and destroy from us. All the Bible clearly states this is a new era where we must begin to learn true spiritual warfare and not accept the devil's schemes as God's plans. As Jesus spoke clearly so many times, the devil fled. Get behind me, Satan, as he spoke. This is a new era where we cannot accept the devil's schemes as God's plans any longer. It is way too easy to give in than to fight the battle which Jesus already won, which causes us to live healthy and prosperous lives. Now, maybe Mike's a little bit uh, godlier than I am, but his reply was simply, 
Hello, friend. He said his name, but I'm not saying his name. You don't have to receive it, but hopefully my post will encourage the person who has a rough time this year. Happy New Year. What these two men are trying to engage is that life has two realities in tension. Now, the Christian faith does not teach that the devil and God are two equal uh, fighters or battlers wrestling with each other for the souls of people. No, the, the Bible says the greater one is God. Uh, the devil can't do anything. Uh, spiritual forces can't do anything that God would not permit. But these two realities in life, that of blessing, right, prosperity, health, goodness, um, is in tension for all of us with uh, death, disease, disappointment, sin, oppression, from ourselves, within ourselves, from others. These two tensions are important to realize. I believe Mike Kelsey gets it right. He said this year could be great. This year could be very hard. But God is good in it all and sovereign over all. But these two realities of good things, blessings, and difficult things, part of the broken, cursed reality that we do live in that can contain sin and death, these two realities are in tension. Now, the promise of God is there is a coming era, a coming kingdom manifested now in which all the powers of darkness and their consequences and results will be utterly defeated. Now the kingdom came with Jesus, right? He's manifesting his rule and reign over Satan and demons and sickness. He's healing people. These miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, when he walked on the earth, he didn't do these miracles as a laser light show to impress us. He showed that the curse of sin and death was being defeated and reversed by the coming of the king. And that happened now, but yet the fullness of the kingdom is still coming. So I expect, unless... Uh, the kingdom of heaven comes and second coming of Jesus, second advent of Jesus. Unless that takes place in my lifetime, I s suspect that I will die. Hopefully at peace in my bed by myself or maybe surrounded, let me, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, my wife, my children's, and some of my dear friends could watch me die peacefully in my bed. That would be a good night for me. But who knows how I'm going to die? Nobody knows. We don't know. Could be terrible could be very harsh. But the reality is that does not mean that the promises of God have failed. It simply means that the final and full defeat of all these enemies, including death, has not yet come and will come with the resurrection of the dead into the kingdom of heaven. These two tensions, two, two realities have to be held in tension. A few scriptures that I think get to this from both uh, a couple from the New Testament, one from Jesus, one from the apostle, uh, early Christian leader named Paul, uh, and one from the Old Testament book of Job. That's Job for you Bible experts. Jesus said this in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me, very crucial, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus' promise, Matthew 28, is to be with us always to the end of the age through everything and to take heart we can have peace in all circumstances, to take heart to be of good courage that he has overcome 
the things of this world and the powers that be. Jesus promises that we will have both blessing and trouble, but we have peace, a peace which transcends all understanding, Philippians 4, and that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Speaking of Philippians 4, this is a little later in that same text, Philippians 4, 10 through 13. This is the one you see on Tim Tebow's eye black when he played football. A lot of athletes like Philippians 4, 13. I'm not going to get to the interpretation of that verse by some athletes today, but it doesn't mean Jesus makes you score touchdowns. It means Jesus is with you when you score touchdowns or when you drop a touchdown in front of all your family. Philippians 4, 10-13, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at length you have revived your concern for me, for you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, that means any circumstance in life, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. That means good times and bads, friends. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, this is the secret that the apostle, this early Christian leader and follower of Jesus learned. He said, hey, I've learned a secret, man, contentment in every circumstance, whether that's on the healing day where you're healed miraculously from a disease or death's day, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content in everything. Job seemed to understand this too in the Old Testament after he had undergone horrible, horrible circumstances in his own life. And Job's a weird book, man, because it's one of the more ancient books in the Bible, but it also gives us kind of a backstage look at an interaction between God and the devil. And Job doesn't know about this. It's very clear. He's just experiencing circumstances as they come to him, where he loses uh, wealth and family and, lo- and his own health. This is in Job chapter 2. His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> Not a good wife day for Job's wife. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. He's almost saying, Hey, you're better than that. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job knew that God was the highest one in the world and in life, and that anything was coming to him, God was not absent from it. This is very hard, friends, because God is not the author of evil. He's not the author of sin. He's not the one that brings that to our lives. But God does permit it. God's ultimate plan A is the redemption, the salvation of people from the curse of sin and death to the praise of his glorious grace. So when God rescues us, we thank him and worship him with great, great gratitude in our hearts and lives and then love him and love others with all that we are. Augustine of Hippo was a North African uh, theologian and philosopher, wrote, as much as anybody in in ancient history uh, from a Christian perspective, philosophically, both in the disciplines of philosophy, so epistemology, how do we know things, uh, metaphysics, what are the things that we could know about, uh, but also theology. It's said that this looming theologian philosopher, uh, the Reformation in Europe, 
was kind of a, a battle between Augustine's doctrine of the church, the Roman Catholic Church, and his doctrine of grace, which the Reformers certainly uh, championed in that big debate. But Augustine did a lot of writing, and one of the things he wrote about, and this came to him from the philosophical tradition of the Greeks, uh, where it was asked, what was the highest good? What's the best thing for people? Um, in Latin, it's the summum bonum. What's the best thing for me? What's the best thing for human beings? In his philosophical writings, he wrestled with what could be the good goods for us. He said it can't be your health because health can be lost, right? We all know that. can't be your security because, you know, somebody can come in and take your stuff. And in the ancient world, I mean, and even today, we're just a little bit uh, blessed in America to have the security we have that marauding armies that have come through villages, towns, and cities throughout history, even today, uh, your security can be utterly lost. Can't be money, right? Somebody who's uh, 65 watching their stocks today, it's been a rough run on the stock market. Uh, People can make bad financial choices. People can extort and steal money. Your stuff, right, can be lost. And even people we love, they can be lost as well. So Augustine's reasoning was this. The best thing for human beings, the greatest good that we could engage with, has to be something that can be both loved, right? You want to have it, and possessed. You can have it and cannot be taken away from us against our will. So he rightly said, health, security, money, even other people, right? We can love them and have them, but they can be taken from us, ripped from us against our own will, which doesn't leave you happy. So Augustine, and from his theology, obviously, reasoned that God and his truth are the highest good for us. A relationship of love that can be had, we can be possessed by God, we can belong to him. A relationship of love and truth and security even to eternity with God that can never be stripped away from us. In this life, we can have every blessing in Christ and in the life to come, utter eternal security. So these two tensions, as we face 2019, uh, difficulties of life and the blessings of prosperity and health have to be held together. We have to. Because one day, there will be a day when sickness and death will be gone forever, and this will be accomplished fully by God, not just by me, but by God, bringing the fullness of his kingdom. And until then, we pray for healing, and we comfort the afflicted. Second Corinthians chapter 1 teaches, teaches us to comfort those with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Until that day of the fullness of the kingdom, we pray for the dying and we place our hope in the resurrection of the dead. First Corinthians 15, if but for this life we have hope alone, we are to be pitied. Our hope is not simply in this life. It's in the coming kingdom and the resurrection. Until the day where the fullness of the kingdom, we have hope. We have hope. Romans 8 takes who hopes for what he already has. Well, if you already have everything, you don't hope for something different. But we hope for a future that is much different than this mingled reality of the present where uh, tribulation, lack, need, affliction, suffering are serious and real. And we, what, we hope for salvation, right? 
we talk about salvation, we're not just only talking about salvation from sin, but from the curse and the consequences of sin. We need to be saved rightly from God's right opposition, displeasure, and wrath for our sin. We need to be saved from that. We need to be saved from the uh, afflictions of the fall, the effects of sin and suffering. We need to be rescued and spared from these things. We're saved by God, for God, into a different reality in which we now stand under his pleasure, under his care, under his goodness, under his grace as his children. We have to have a theology, man, that uh, has room for what the New Testament teaches and hold them together, right? That has room for both healing from cancer and dying from cancer. Where we realize that Jesus can heal people, we pray for that. But at the same time, we have to comfort the dying with the promise of resurrection and eternal life to all who trust in him. We need to be kind, friends. So, so often those who get on this, oh, God only wants health, wealth, prosperity for us, uh, present themselves in a way that's just not kind. What about the sick and dying around you? What about those that aren't rich like you? This doctrine that God only wants you to be rich and blessed, never sick, uh, flows from a comfort and ease situation, typically. The struggle is that God gives us the best of things, namely himself, so that we have everything we need, rich, poor, sick, health, well-fed, hungry. God has given us everything we need in Christ. Bottom line today, friends, this is Second Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction. Now, this is written by Paul, who had rocks thrown at his head till he was almost dead, snake bit, shipwreck, uh, people trying to kill him. He calls this light and momentary affliction. Right? It's way worse than most people's lives. Um, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, money, stuff, health, sickness, all that, but we look to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, they're passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, friends, 2019, do some wrestling. Wrestle, focus on eternal realities of the coming kingdom. Wrestle, don't give way to demonic deceptions in this world. Wrestle, don't get captured by the lures of money, sex, and power that the world so desperately fights for today. Wrestle to grab hold of and keep hold of Jesus and don't let go. Happy New Year, y'all. Wrestle well, y'all. Work hard. Have fun in 2019. Trusting in the Savior of all things, and the resurrection and the coming hope. For all of us, whether living or dead, we have a kingdom coming and we have a great king. Let's worship him and be about his business. This year, wrestle forward by grace. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the Bonhoeffer House. Send your comments, feedback, questions that you might have, even topics you might want us to take up for here on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. Review us on iTunes. We are accepting a new year. Five-star reviews on iTunes. Please do that. Just a little tote in the world of podcasting. Thank you for all our listeners. We're Dialogues. 
taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. We hope to see you out there soon. Jesse and I will be back in 2019 with lots of things in those borderlands. And we hope to see you there. Peace.